0: This program is sponsored by Blazing Grace Ministries. This radio program is PG-13. Parents strongly caution some material may be inappropriate for children under the age of 13. Seven. Jesus' mission was to comfort those who mourn, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives, and open prison doors for those who are bound. For those who want more than status quo Christianity has to offer, Blazing Grace Radio begins now. And here is your host, Mike Janung.
1: Hey, Mike Janung here. Welcome back to Blazing Grace Radio. Thank you for joining us on this journey of life. And my guest today, Bob Allen, has been in Christian radio and TV for decades and different roles with Christian ministries such as those led by John Maxwell, John Piper, Michael Youssef, Tony Evans, and others. He's also had his own production company, and he now works for NRB TV, a Christian cable channel. However, all this has little to do with why I have invited Bob to come on the program today. I met him in high school years ago we became good friends and then after high school i didn't see him for decades maybe 30 years or so we ran into each other on social media and then when we met for lunch in tennessee a little bit ago i found out that he has a story to tell that i think will be a blessing so bob my friend welcome to the program
2: no thank you mike it's uh it's kind of an uncomfortable thing because, for the most part, I've been the one who's the picture frame asking the questions, and to be on the other side of the mic is is a little weird. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, thanks, and I appreciate it. Appreciate you coming on, and so let's get started with your story as we had talked about.
2: Well, and I appreciate the fact you didn't give exactly how many years ago it was that we met in high school. It's uh, when I add it up, it gets to be a scary number. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting, and I don't you know, you can break in anytime you want, because I can monopolize and, and maybe go off course here. But, I mean, really, as far as this context goes, uh, when we were in high school, um, what we really weren't aware of in our youth at that time was both of our households were pretty much in chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think I'm misrepresenting that in your case. No. Um, in, in my case, uh, my parents had announced in my first year of junior high, that they were going to be divorcing, but they were going to stay together until I was done with my high school years. So that meant six years of living in a household of warfare, um, which many years of that was with parents who lived in different bedrooms with blocks on their doors. And, and basically meant just a lot of very uncomfortable times so that I spent a lot of time away from the house just to be away from that kind of conflict. Uh, and the other thing was that, you know, when it would come to a Friday night or something, here, here was the way it went. Hey, Mom, I'd like to go do this. Can I do this? Go ask your dad. Hey, Dad, can I do this? Go ask your mom. Well, I'm free because they're not going to talk to each other. And so that meant that there was basically no oversight. Um, and, uh, you know, that led to a lot of of uh, not so good choices and decisions. Thankfully, God preserved me from anything that that did lasting physical harm. Um but it also left me without really any kind of anchor or mooring. I mean, we had been a church-going family for many years, and we were actually part of a very good church with a very good pastor. But obviously, the, the reality of the faith was pretty much missing for both of my parents. So uh, even though the seeds were planted, I did not have a good example to look at for for what a healthy Christian plant looked like, if you will. Mm. Um, And then as years went on and different choices were made as far as, again, for your purposes here, uh, I ended up just where I was really in a place where I I needed uh, a job at one point. Um, I was living with my mother and her new husband at that time and had been pretty much given the the riot act of, you know, you got to get something going here. So. I ended up taking a job with uh, a man who had lived across the street from us uh, when my parents were together. And the problem was that he was a man who had a very, very severe uh, addictive problem, and he used his affiliation with the Boy Scouts to satisfy that problem. Um, I was never in the Boy Scouts, but having been in the neighborhood, that was just, you know, I knew of him. And so when I went to work for him, I, I you know, I had a sense that things had kind of been strange to cross the street, but had never really in, in my age put it together. Well, all of those came, things came to uh, to a harsh reality when I was working for him. And I felt trapped because I needed the job. I needed the income. And yet... I just was not comfortable with the things that were happening and the, the demands that were made. And so uh, that that led to, um, you know, I don't even know how long uh, it lasted, but it was a long time. Of, and it basically brought me to the point um, where I had always considered suicide and, and was really, I was brought to the point of, you know, it was hopeless. It was just a hopeless situation. And so um, it's interesting that that night, I, I'd actually been writing a story. I'd always been a writer, and I'd been writing a, a story that was loosely based on my life. And uh, I had finally killed off the character. And that was kind of the uh, the symbol or the, the the metaphor of my own life. And I decided that that was what I needed to do.
1: How old and were you so at this was point?
2: Night, uh, yes. 17 or 18 when I reached that moment oh, somewhere in that neighborhood because I actually graduated high school at 17 so actually it was, you know what, it was probably more like 19, I, I really didn't put it together as what well years it was, so mm-hmm. it was probably a little bit later beyond that but it was interesting because it was almost midnight and it was, it was in the summer, uh, my other best friends that, that I had made, actually there were people who went to high school with us but I wasn't friends with them during high school became friends with them after high school and uh I hadn't seen them for about nine months at the time because they'd gone off to college, and I was working and so uh I actually started off in college anyway there's a lot of details as any story has, but uh anyway, at this point, I was not in college; I'd been involved in an auto accident that had forced me to drop out because of the injuries there mm. um but anyway, so this one night, it was about midnight, and I basically decided that was it. and I was going to go down to the garage, and, and my mother worked nights as a nurse, so I was going to commit suicide in the garage with my car. And I, uh, I descended the first flight of stairs and began to turn around the second flight, which was only three stairs, and then you're into the, the basement garage. I'd made the turn and stepped onto that first step down, and there was a knock at my door. And remember, this is like midnight, it's like, who in the world is knocking at my door at midnight? And for some reason, um, I see it now as definitely God's gracious providence, but he He caused me to decide to go ahead and figure out who the heck was there. And it turned out to be these two guys from my high school. And they immediately sensed that something was wrong and basically kicked some sense back into me to pull me off the edge of that cliff. But I always look at it, and I've, I've told this story a few times since then, that uh, you know I was literally steps from hell at that moment, mm. and and God pulled me back from that edge, and that's where all of the you know I, I had been involved after high school in relationships with, um, with women, young girls, and not young girls. I mean, you know, people my age, basically. Sure. Um, you know, usually with connections to our our high school days too, and you know, been involved in promiscuity in that way as some way to mask and escape the pain of all this relational tumult at home. Um, I also had someone in the household who was a severe uh, addict to pornography, and so um, that was stuff that I stumbled across in the house and was a part of the picture at that time as well. So, But that was my escape. That was my way of finding uh, some kind of meaning or connection, you know, a false connection, though it may have been at those times. So, and then it weaved into, like I say, this gentleman, go ahead,
1: so did this guy molest you once multiple times? Was it an office, or
2: it was multiple times, and uh it was everything from you know, oh, let's take a run and, and in an orange grove and at the office and at his house I mean it was just it was several times mm. and You know, I'd say and it was, you know, I I could look back now in in maturity and think, man, you know, so many stupid decisions. But at that time, like I say, I just felt trapped and hopeless and didn't know what to do.
1: So how did you cut it off with him?
2: Uh, Basically, he finally fired me because I wasn't getting the work that he wanted done. Um, I was in a, a sales position for his company and I would literally sit there in the office staring at the phone like a zombie. And that phone took on the attachment of, of the fear and the tumult of everything going on. So it was weird. It was for a long time after that. I had a hard time using the phone because in the midst of all that turmoil, I would stare at the phone. And there just became this attachment to where, the, you know, any time a phone call was, it, it just brought back floods of all those memories of paralysis and pain.
1: Mm.
2: So, uh, yeah, so he finally fired me because he was he was paying out, you know, a certain amount of month and uh, my sales weren't matching that so and uh, you know I, again I'm not sure I don't remember exactly but you know it might have been too that I was pulling back in every way to try and you know get out of the situation that I just I, I was really torn up about
1: yeah and I've shared on this program how my mother molested me and similar to you well not similar just like you I, there was one point where I was holding a gun and trying to get the courage to finish my life but uh, by God's mm. grace, that didn't happen. But those who have been molested go through self-loathing. I felt dirty and shamed, couldn't stand myself, and sick. And <clears throat> of course, that's not the type of things you really talk about, you know, in high school. But so, what did you? No, your...
2: but I mean, and it's something too where you you do that, especially when you're not connected to a lot of other people. You suffer alone because you think you're the only one. And you take a lot of the blame on yourself for, you know, why did I do this? Why did I go there? Why did I allow this to happen? Um, And it it is really, I mean, as much as sometimes we look at people who get in those circumstances, those of us who've been there, we can relate to the fact, you know what, it's not that easy. Mm -hmm. Um, There's such a complex of emotions and things going on. And, yeah, do I wish I'd made different choices? Absolutely. Um, But, you know, looking back, I can't be too harsh on myself because it just... It is very common, and that's interesting because I didn't know that, you know, about your story, but it it brings me a commonality of, yeah, you know, I understand what you're saying, at least to some degree.
1: And there's an intense spiritual battle going on, isn't there?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, because all those wonderful seeds planted by that good pastor and good church growing up, it was like I knew that what was happening was wrong and it shouldn't be happening. I didn't have a real firm grounding but it was definitely a spiritual battle where the, you know, the word was speaking within my heart to say, you know, this is not right. You know, you shouldn't be involved in this. You shouldn't be doing this. Um, but again, I just did not have the, I didn't have the the power of the Holy Spirit at that point to break me free from it on my own. Hmm.
1: So what did your healing journey look like?
2: You know, it's interesting. I mean, basically within a, a, a year or so, I was, uh, I moved up out of my parents' house because basically my stepdad finally kicked me out and he just said, look, I married your mother, you're not part of the deal, bye. Mm. Uh, you know, not quite that short trip, but pretty much it. So I moved up to Central California and uh, again, worked with another guy we went to high school with whose brother had a company up in uh, just south of Yosemite and was there for three months. And that was kind of breaking free from the milieu and the context and, and where all that uh, rupture and pain in both the family and my own personal life had happened. So it gave me a little space. And then uh, within three months, I had met uh, some Christians in that community who were starting a television station. And I'd always had this uh, plan. that's like, I'm going to do newspapers, which I did in Southern Cal, and then, you know, radio and TV. Well, you know, God switched that around and made it from newspapers to television. And these people it was interesting because they were unchurched people but they were earnest people and part of the television ministry the reason they started the channel was to have a christian witness to the community that that we were in and part of that was that all sunday was pretty much preaching programs and we were a tiny little station and there wasn't really automation so when we were on the air someone was up in this little building on top of the mountain Uh, pushing buttons to roll from one program to commercials to the next program, and and et cetera. So part of my job was to stand there in that little building on top of the mountain and have preachers preach the word to me in this little building. And uh, that was really bringing back and watering the seeds that the Lord had planted in my growing up years in church. And uh, I finally had a dramatic encounter with him one morning where um, I literally thought I had died, mm. and uh, and it was just a dramatic calling of me to himself, and and at that point again, this still the people I was with were unchurched, but the one core that he put within me was just a hunger to read the Bible, and so I just began reading it: Genesis to Revelation, Genesis to Revelation, Genesis to Revelation, and that was really the foundation of everything was. Uh, coming to see the truth of who he was, all he had done, his promises, his love for me in Christ. And uh, and then that just proceeded over time as I got involved in some good churches. When I got back to Southern California, um, it just grew from there. And then I didn't really, I didn't have to address those specific issues per se, and I never really had a hatred for the man involved, um, and he was—he had his own broken story and background. And so thankfully, by grace, I was always able to to look at him and realize it was kind of like uh, the biblical story in Matthew 18, where um, you know the the guy who owed the unpayable debt was forgiven by the king, and then he went out and beat his fellow slave who owed him so much less and you know thankfully i've always realized like you know my sin is so great i can't hold someone else's sin against them because i realize the immense work that christ did to forgive me for everything that i've done in rebellion and sin and so literally i have many times over the decades prayed for him and uh i think it was sometime in the last 5 years i actually tried to look up and see what happened and he's kind of moved all over i right? I'm sure he has been haunted and you know his own life has brought a lot of destruction. So I really pity him. I mean it was a it was a very painful time, but it was a part of God's plan in my life to, you know, rescue me from that and then give me a heart for other people that both the perpetrators and for victims. Um you know, it's just preparation for a ministry that I would never choose, but um you know, here it is.
1: So it sounds like you came to a point of forgiving him at some point.
2: I did, you know. I I'd never really had any great anger. There was always just pain on my side. But thankfully, I, I, I never wished him harm ever. But I very consciously, over the last decade or decade and a half, have many times uh, just spoken it and said, "Lord, you know, I I forgive him for what he's done for me because of what Jesus has forgiven me." But it's like, and then I just pray for his salvation because, you know, what he really needs. He he is. As I was in a different way at that time, he is seeking some kind of acceptance and satisfaction and joy and intimacy that he'll only find in Christ, mm-hmm. and he's just looking in all the wrong places, at you know to use the phrase. And so, I just I really do pray for him that uh, that someday he will find the kind of freedom and release that I have.
1: Mm-hmm. You mentioned porn in your home growing up. Did that follow you when you moved out, or? What happened there?
2: Um, it did a little bit, uh, and and there have been episodes here or there over life where I've recognized that's a door that I need to just walk away from, and so uh, like for example, I there was a time when I was uh, in in southern Tennessee, and I began to get involved with a pastor friend of mine in basically what's kind of a sexaholics anonymous group. And uh, for several weeks, I went and I heard these stories of, of what various men would do and their tempt. And I just, I finally just told my friend, I said, "Look, th- this is not the ministry for me. There's just, there's too much, uh, you know, of my own weakness and problems here that that this is not a healthy kind of ministry for me to get involved with just because of my own weaknesses um, toward this temptation." So, um, I've done a lot of reading to try and help and address it for other people, but. I just know there are certain aspects of the ministry in a very personal way that I need to be very careful I don't open that door and uh and and basically fall into something that would be probably way too easy. Mm-hmm.
1: So since you've been in uh Christian media, I'm going to switch gears a little bit here. Mhm. Do the general Christian public, do we make too much and give too much weight to Christian celebrities? <laughs>
2: Oh my goodness. What is a Christian celebrity? It's interesting. Um I've always used the the metaphor that my whole life and career, I am a picture frame. And my job is to highlight the focus in the picture. So for example, when I'm a co-host on a radio program with James Kennedy or John Piper or John Maxwell. You know, a picture frame's job is not to take away anything from the center of the picture. If the frame is distracting you from the picture, the frame's a problem. So my whole life has been that way. And really, as Christians, that's who we are. We're picture frames for Jesus. We need to be careful about letting ourselves be the one who is exalted up and Him diminished in some way because of that. And so while I, you know, I've worked with tons and tons of, of, you know, A lot of the authors and speakers and pastors that are household names throughout our country over the last three decades, four decades, I've worked with them, and I know what that whole milieu is like, Christian celebrity, but I just really reject it and think there's a great danger there when we exalt a man too much, because we're all fallen. We've all got that that flaw that at some point when it's exposed— is gonna if people have idolized us, it's gonna be a huge disappointment. So yeah, it's a problem. And and I see it even now. I mean, I I I talk about it and I was just talking about it with some people yesterday about certain people in certain religious contexts who make too much of themselves. Mm. And it's really setting themselves and, and those who appreciate them up for a fall.
1: Mm. What well, was going through your mind with what what happened with Ravi Zacharias? I'm assuming you're aware of that.
2: Yeah. Um, see, and that's a tough one too, because there was a six month period where I, my company, my production company actually, uh, was, uh, retained by Robbie. Uh, I had interviewed him several times when I was working with James Kennedy's ministry out of Florida, and I had been able to spend time with him in certain contexts. And I really, really appreciated him. He was such a, a gentle spirit and charismatic figure that was just, uh, you know, he just seemed like a very, very loving man. And so um, my company, actually, he was moving from an, an outside agency production house to building up his own internal staff. And so I was the one I was producing his program and helping to train up his team at the time he was making that transition. So there's a very close, you know, connection there. And so when he when the stories began coming out, that it, it was especially painful um, and I don't know, you know, there's, there's his son says one thing. Now the reports have said other things, his daughter. said, you know, I've learned at least I'm trying to learn to really step back from making any kind of final determinations when I'm not a firsthand witness, because, you know, without being there, you really don't know what's happening. I mean, I, we just had something at my workplace over the last year and a half where one of my colleagues who had tremendous connections in the media, spread lies about my uh, CEO and and my workplace. And it led to us having to shut down the workplace from death threats and Mm. just vile things being sent because of the story he had told about us, which wasn't true. Um, And yet, that story was broadcast on MSNBC and in USA Today and on CNN and on Christianity Today and World Magazine and Christian Post, and on and on and on. Every media source, secular and Christian, spread this story. And as a firsthand witness, I'm like, and it's not true. (laughs) It's not true. So that just made me really sensitive that when I hear a story about someone else, like Ravi, it's like, I'm not going to hide my eyes from it and say, you know, okay, I don't trust it entirely, but I'm going to at least say, if I don't have all the details firsthand, I'm going to at least realize that I may be wrong about what happened. Obviously, if, if, if the report is, is largely accurate, then he made a lot of very unwise decisions. And, uh, you know, he had a weakness that really caused a ton of damage, um, both to the individuals who were directly involved, but also to all those who really appreciated and loved him. And it's just another sad story and a reminder. I mean, especially, you know, I, I turned around again, when I see something like that, i look back and say, Lord, I'm not strong enough to be the one who who can say that'll never happen to me, mm-hmm. and I just pray for mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I don't ever want to bring a kind of a negative view on Christ and give give unbelievers a reason to blaspheme Him because I'm weak mm-hmm. and I know that's a very real possibility.
1: Well, Bob, we're out of my time or out of time, I should say. And but I really appreciate you coming on and thank you for what you shared.
2: Well, I thank you for the opportunity, Mike, and it's good to reconnect and kind of even to learn a little bit more about your story. And and, uh, I really have appreciated just what I've seen of how God has called you and the impact you're having. I mean, there's just it's an area that definitely needs to be discussed more in small groups and among men. and you know, to say, hey, guys, we need to be together on this. We need to make sure the enemy doesn't lie to us and say, you're the only one. That's like, no, we need to support each other because this is a big, big temptation and idol.
1: Thank you, my friend, and thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.
0: Do you want to be free? Blazing Grace is a nonprofit international ministry for the sexually broken and the spouse. Please visit us at BlazingGrace.org for information on Mike Janung's books, groups, counseling, or to have Mike speak at your organization. You can email us at email at BlazingGrace.org or call our office in Chandler, Arizona at 719-888-5144. Again, visit us at BlazingGrace.org, email us at email at BlazingGrace.org, or call the office at 719-888-5144. This program was sponsored by Blazing Grace Ministries.